And all of God's people say, thank you, Lord. And thank you, team. Biblical illiteracy has, has, re, has reached a very low ebb in our culture today. In fact, I read the story about a pastor, a new pastor, who came to a, one of those mainline denominations where the Bible has not been central. And he is a very Bible-centered, Bible-oriented pastor. And so he wanted to feel the pulse of the church, and he decided to visit the different Sunday school classes. And uh, so he went to a Sunday school class of boys, and then he asked them the question, do you know who knocked down the walls of Jericho? The boys, one after another, began to deny any knowledge of it. Everyone says, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. One, one said, it wasn't me. The other said, I wasn't anywhere near it. The other said, I, I don't even know where it is. This new pastor was so deeply distressed. He was so deeply appalled by the biblical illiteracy, and, 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 and uh, he decided to go and speak to the parish council. So the parish council was meeting, and, and he came, and he said to them, he said, I went to these specific boys' Sunday school class, and, and I was appalled at the fact that none of them knew who knocked down the walls of Jericho. Well, the members of the parish council were very quiet. And finally, a seasoned veteran of disputes in that church spoke up. He said to the minister, he says, it appears that this matter has bothered you a great deal. But I've known those boys since you were born. They're good boys. And if they said they did not do it, they did not do it. <laughs> I believe them. Let's just take a special offering for the repair and maintenance fund and fix the walls and get on with it. <laughs> While general knowledge has been on the increase in the last hundred years, biblical knowledge has been reaching a lower and lower ebb. Even non-believers in the past, they used to have some biblical knowledge. They used to have some understanding or some knowledge of some stories from the Bible, and, and, and you can still hear it today, but no more, no more. And the reason for this is that our postmodern culture has invaded every aspect of life. Our postmodern thinking has replaced biblical worldview. Our postmodern culture thinking has erased or erasing the knowledge of the Scripture. In the last message, I began a short series of messages entitled, Defending a Lion. And it was based on a statement that I read years ago that Martin Luther supposedly have said that defending the Bible is like defending a lion. And I, as I mentioned last week, I feel so inadequate, but we all have to be equipped for the battle because the battle is here. It's not just coming. It is here. We're facing it today. And in the last message, we saw how the Word of God is the only spiritual food for the soul, that the Word of God is the only power for living, 
that the Word of God is the only true mirror that reflects our, our, our condition, and, and, and it helps us to drive us forthly to the shower, to cleansing. And the Word of God is the only, word, the only thing, the only Word that can truly cleanse us from sin and guilt and pain and suffering. Today, I want us to focus on how we got here. How, how did we get here? How did we reach this abysmal condition, this abysmal state of biblical illiteracy in the West? First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 is one of kind of my favorite verses, and we all have favorite verses, but it's really a, a very special verse to me because it says that the people of Essekah, that's the tribe of Essekah, were wise. But why were they wise? Because the Bible said they had understanding of the times in which they lived. And my beloved special friends, I want to tell you, if there is a desperate need today, it is to understand the times in which we live. It is to discern how we got to this state that we're in. It is to understand all of the facts that brought us to such abysmal state as far as biblical knowledge is concerned. It is to know where we have fallen, repent, and turn to the Lord. A few moments ago when I began, I talked about our postmodern culture. I have no doubt some of you did not know what that means, but you nodded your head. But you're in good company. I spent many years in graduate school hearing professors use big words I didn't understand, but I nodded my head. <laughs> Historians have divided the history A.D. after Christ into three segments. This is not going to take long. This is not a long history lesson. This is really very short. If you blink, you'll miss it. So focus with me. They said there is pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. And I'm going to tell you about each one of them very, very quickly. The pre-modern time began with the collapse of the Roman Empire uh, on the fourth century, when Constantine made Christianity to be the religion of the Roman Empire, the official religion of, of the Roman Empire. People from that moment on, they began to interpret reality in terms of their relationship with God. That was the beginning of this pre-modern culture. Uh, their worldview were colored by the knowledge of the Bible. Remember, that was the time of St. Augustine. I have preached about him many times. It's the time of the great early Christian fathers who fought heresies in Egypt and in, 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 in modern-day Turkey and in Antioch and in all these churches where heresies are coming in at, at, from every direction regarding the Trinity. And these early fathers fought them and succeeded. And as a result, we have the Nicene Creed that was written in the city of Nicaea, 325. But gradually... The Word of God and the worldview became distorted. It became disfigured. And the power and the authority that was in the Word of God shifted to the Roman Catholic Church, which ushered what the historians call the modern period, the 14th century. 
And during the modern period, there were two competing worldviews. Listen very carefully because this is very important. Two competing worldviews. And those competing worldviews have replaced pre-modern to a modern time. What are these two competing worldviews? The Reformation, and the Reformation came first, followed by the Renaissance, or Renaissance, as some have pronounced it. Either way is fine. (laughs) I want to stop here for a moment and tell you that whenever God is doing something great, Satan is nipping at the heels. Whenever you hear or you see in history a great vision like John Harvard of founding Harvard University so that students can learn the Word of God and the Bible, that vision gets hijacked by the godless. Yale started because they said Harvard has been hijacked. So they started as an evangelical college, seminary, university. It got hijacked too. Then Princeton came. And he goes throughout history, and you see it even in this city. Godly people founded great institutions, but Satan always nips at the heels of these good and great visions, and he diverts them to godless causes. It's always, and that's what happened. The Reformation opened the eyes of the population of of Europe. But what happened, the Renaissance came nipping at its heel and hijacked the Reformation. The Renaissance gradually fought against Reformed theology and made man to be the center stage instead of what the Reformation said, that God and His Word at the center stage. Slowly but surely, in Western civilization, man displaced God. And the cry of the time was, I think, therefore I am. Now, Here's the important point. Secularism, which we now see in spades, secularism is the direct descendant of the Renaissance. See, everything is connected. One historian claimed that this was the time when God was dethroned and man was enthroned. This was the time when humanism and the natural world began to replace biblical worldview. This was the beginning of the marginalizing of the supernatural. Mercifully, there was a group of good and godly men and women who tried to escape from this horrors of the Renaissance and the persecution of Christians, and make no mistake about it, Christians were persecuted in Europe. I'm talking about faithful Christians, Bible-believing Christians. And so these men and women, these godly men and women wanted to escape from the toxic environment in European culture and the persecution. They sought to found and build a biblical society in the new world where the Word of God occupies the center stage and not man. And thus, they landed on Plymouth Rock. Can I get a thank you, God? Don't ever believe anybody tells you that America was founded on anything other than the Bible, the Word of God. As a matter of fact, David Horowitz, an agnostic Jew, 
just wrote a book called The Dark Agenda. He asked me to endorse it. I thought long and hard after I read it, I was so blessed that this agnostic Jew is showing clearly with evidence that this nation was built upon the Word of God. And so at my endorsement, I said, I'm sure you're asking the question, what would a nice evangelical pastor doing endorsing an agnostic Jewish book uh, author? But in the end, my endorsement is, the truth is the truth is the truth, no matter who said it. Amen? But as often the case, even in this brave new world, even in the, the people who wanted to found a new world built and based upon the Word of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the godly founders of this nation who came and wanted to have a nation built on biblical truth. But as always the case, I told you, Satan always nips at the heels. And by the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th centuries, ushered the attitude that man can do all things, not through Christ who strengthens him, but if he puts his mind to it. Have you heard that before? You see, and this attitude unleashed what has now become known as postmodern period of history in which we now live, although even some historians are saying that we are coming out of that, but we never know normally until we look back. Please understand. Please, please, please understand. I'm getting close to the end of that part. <laughs> Postmodernism did not start in the 60s, as some people say. Postmodernism thinking and the secularism thinking began with the roaring 20s. And this brings me exactly where we are today. I told you it was going to be very short, so don't, 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 those of you who didn't like history in school, don't panic, okay? It's over now. Now we're going to talk realities. I want to make sure before we know where we are that we know where, how we got here. In fact, we have a saying in the Middle East, you don't know where you're going unless you know where you came from. Now, I pray, God, please, God, that from this place, God would ignite an awakening, a revival that would usher forth a godly remnant that will stand strong against the current of culture. Can I get an amen? amen. Question. Question. What are the characteristics of postmodern thought that is now flooding our schools, university campuses, workplace, uh, entertainment industry, social life, and the tragedy of all tragedies, some churches. Here's a sample of postmodern thought, and I know you will be familiar with this. The pursuit of truth is meaningless. The idea of morality is obsolete. The sanctity of marriage between husband and a man and a woman, husband and wife, is archaic. The authority of any shape, form, any authority is to be despised. And that is why the rise of Antifa and all of the attack on our law enforcement officers is a revolt against any form of authority. 
Honesty, oh, that's just for the fools. Truth is relative. Therefore, it's your truth, my truth, his truth, and all the truth are fine except the Christian truth because it's absolute truth. They say, there is a, if you say there is absolute truth, they will hound you down. They will hound you down. And they tell you that you are intolerant and you are bigoted and, 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 and you don't deserve even to be accepted in society. Now, listen to me. I do, I do not want to depress you. Uh, please understand. You did not get up, shower, dress, and drive all the way here so that the pastor can depress you. It's never my intention. It's never my desire. Always want to lift you up. Always want to lift you up. But you have to know the truth. You have to be armed for the battle. Because all of these falsehoods are in books, in the academia, in the court systems, even it's in, it's in businesses, it's in the boardroom, it's on the floors, and on the shop floors, it's in the movies, the television industry. And sadly, yes, it has invaded many a church. Everywhere you go, you meet the foot soldiers of postmodern culture. Everywhere you go, there are foot soldiers. <laughs> These foot soldiers are ready to pounce on you, to intimidate you, to silence you, to hound you down and beat you down emotionally until you surrender to them. And before long, you find yourself beginning to talk like they talk, and you begin to uh, defend their arguments uh, under the guise of love, and then you begin to uh, adopt your biblical uh, convictions uh, to their worldview, and you become anxious to be accepted by these vicious soldiers of the foot soldiers of postmodernism. And so you begin to reinterpret the Bible. We're seeing that happening all over the place. They're reinterpreting the Bible. They're rewriting the Bible in order to be accepted by those soldiers of political correctness. Now, do you understand why I sometimes weep when I pray for the young people? I prayed for the college student last week when I pray for these students because I'm aware of the battles that they're facing in the classrooms, in the ball fields, in the social gathering, and yes, in the social media, everywhere they go. But I want to encourage you because I became encouraged a couple of weeks ago, Elizabeth and I had the privilege of meeting in the House of Lords at Westminster with the youngest member of the House of Lords, an amazing Christian man. It's just a whole long story. I wish I could tell you more, but in, he has done a lot of homework. He's done a lot of research. He's done a lot of studies. And here's, I'll give you the bottom line of what this remarkable man shared with us. And, it's, and I know it will encourage you. He said, Gen Z, I have to stop for a moment, and I'm a sociologist. I said, now, who? I, I thought he was talking about the lunch we're having. Uh, <laughs> he said, Gen Z, 
is our greatest hope. Generation Z. We had Y and we had X, now we have Generation Z. Generation Z that stood in front of you today that you have prayed for this morning. He said, Gen Z are proving to be the generation that absolutely will usher some whole new environment in the West because that generation, more than the previous generations, they are anxious to know the truth and to believe the truth. My goodness, we walked out of Westminster literally so encouraged. And now you understand why. I, for one, and the team here in this church and the lay leadership, we do everything we do. We do everything we can to ensure to equip these precious young people. But for all generations, you may ask, well, Michael, what are the characteristics by which we can recognize this cultural invasion of postmodernism. Well, I'm glad you asked because I want to tell you. And I have five characteristics. If you're writing them down, write them down. Uh, I, I know they will probably be putting them up on the screen. Are you going to put them up, guys? Uh, at least you, you will do it as I go. Five characteristics. They'll help you recognize falsehood. And I'm telling you, every one of those can only be combated by reading, believing, heeding, and obeying the Word of God. Something I hounded on last week and I'll keep doing in the next couple of weeks. Five ways by which you can identify this overwhelming flood uh, that invaded every aspect of life. And how biblical knowledge Biblical strength will keep you standing firm. First of all, when you hear all truths are equally valid or every opinion is equally correct, when you hear it put this way, you know you're dealing with a foot soldier of postmodernism. When you hear them say, those in authority have no right to exercise their authority, that the husbands have no right to be the spiritual leaders in their homes, that the parents have no right to instruct their children. In fact, some are working on making that to be illegal. (laughs) We say, what about the authority of the Word of God? They will say, oh, this is just the church's way of enslaving people. What about the absolutes of God? Oh, that's just your interpretation. (laughs) When you try to defend the truth and the fact that the Bible said there is right and there is wrong, (laughs) they say, yes, the Bible is an archaic book and no longer relevant to the 21st century. Second way to recognize, second characteristic by which you recognize these foot soldiers of postmodernism is style more important than substance. Outward appearance is far more important than inward commitment. Now, beloved, listen to me. Uh, That is why the fastest growing profession is the spin doctors. 
Spin doctors are not only in politics. They are everywhere. Spin doctors are hired in businesses. They are hired uh, even by some churches are employing spin doctors. Postmodern thinking says you create the impression you want to create. Impression is everything. Appearance is all that matters. Packaging is more important than content. Outward appearance is more important than inward reality. And that is why Hollywood make-belief has blurred reality. Thirdly, the third characteristics of postmodern thinking is this. Words have no inherent meanings. What do I mean by this? A word may mean one thing to you and mean something else to another person and mean something else to me. The same word they're talking about. Same word. Dictionary definition of words do not mean anything anymore. Some people sometimes hear me preach my heart out from the Word of God, and they would walk out and say, well, that's just his opinion. Probably the best example of what I'm trying to tell you is this. It's found in the very famous statement by former President Clinton. Remember him? President Clinton. In a deposition, President Clinton made the following statement. I'm saying this to the younger people who were not around, but all of you, all these, you remember it. He says, it depends on what your definition of the word is, is. Fourth characteristics of postmodernism thinking, which overwhelming our culture today and It is this. They put it in different ways. Just watch for it. Western civilization is oppressive. Other civilizations are much better. And so now they take civic studies out of curriculums, removing them out. Remember, it was Western civilization that originally was founded upon the Reformation, the Reformation theology, not the Renaissance. The Renaissance hijacked the Reformation. It is Western civilization that brought about the technology that we all enjoy, that, that brought about all the freedoms that we have in our constitutions. It would not be known without the Reformation theology. Biblical truth, biblical worldview, all of the freedom we enjoy, all based on the Reformation. No matter what you say, they say Western civilization is out, other civilizations are in. Aristotle logic is out, Eastern mysticism is in. George Washington is out, the Dalai Lama is in. Here's their argument. Because Western civilization has been built on Judeo-Christian thought, therefore it is oppressive. Father God is out. Mother Earth is in. Fifth characteristics in this postmodern culture is where thinking has been replaced by feelings. Some of you read my book, When the Crosses Are Gone. Well, that book thesis 
is I'm showing how in seven aspects of life, including education, the environment, all, in all these aspects, your feelings, all that matters. Thinking is out. Feeling is in. <laughs> and so Christians in the past, when they shared the gospel, they appealed to a person's intellect. That no more. <laughs> now, in postmodern culture, where feelings and emotions of each individual person and your value, your own personal value, that's all that matters, we cannot appeal to intellect anymore. Years ago, I remember one of our church members came to me so excited that she has led her Hindu neighbor to Christ, that she received Christ and prayed with her. She received Christ. I said, wonderful. I said, did you tell her that she now have to give up all the other gods? She looked at me. She said, no, it never occurred to me. I said, do me a favor. Just go back and ask her if now she received Christ as Savior and Lord, would she let the, all the other gods go? And my friend, to her utter horror and amazement, came to see me. She said, I can't believe it. She said, no, I just added Jesus to all the other gods. See, that's what we're dealing with. Beloved, Hinduism has invaded our culture more than you realize. Hinduism is reigning supreme in Hollywood. In the past, when we disagreed with non-Christians, we used to think, well, they're sadly mistaken. We still love them. But in the postmodern culture, when we disagree, we assume that all views are correct with someone except the Christian faith. ABC, anything but Christians. It is appearance, remember? It's appearance. In modernism, knowledge was vitally important. In postmodernism, one's opinion is the most important thing in the world. Uh, and those opinions are not driven by what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is falsehood. No. But how many people like it? Thank God the polls are proven to be wrong all the time. <laughs> you see this in the news. You see it in politics. You see it in consumerism. You see it everywhere. Beloved, listen, I'm coming toward the end, so don't let, don't let me lose you, okay? Given all of this, no wonder what I said to you in the last message, that less than 18% of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis. Now you understand. Now you understand. Let me appeal to you. In fact, I appeal to everyone at the sound of my voice. Whether you are anywhere in the world watching live right now or here in this beautiful sanctuary, if you are exposed to postmodern thinking and a postmodern culture 16 hours a day, I can tell you that coming to church two hours a week is not going to neutralize the impact and the effect of that culture. It's just fact. It's just a fact. Today, Satan has succeeded in neutralizing the power of the Word of God. Just as he succeeded with Adam and Eve, he's succeeding today. Back then, he brought doubt into our first parents' minds as to the authenticity and the truthfulness and the authority of what God said 
Today, he's doing the same thing with Christians. Back then, he managed to convince Adam and Eve um, that God's Word was taken out of context. They're not relevant for them for the day. It wasn't adequate for their needs. It wasn't really for their good. And my goodness, it's not designed to make them happy. Hello. You can't be happy and believe in God and read His Word on a daily basis and grow in knowledge of Christ. Satan will tell you that God is a killjoy. <laughs> a professing Christian who happened to be a media personality, a television personality, was being interviewed not long ago. And she said, well, I believe the Bible. And then she immediately rushed to say, but you can't really take it literally. Right. Now, beloved, Satan's deception has never changed. Let me tell you something about Satan. He's a one-trick pony. He really is. He's a one-trick pony. He's not very creative. God is a creative God. All creativity comes from God. Satan is an imitator. What he did thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, he's doing today with professing Christians. You do not need to read, believe, and obey the Bible, do you? Why? Why? Why do you do that? Because if you read it, it's going to tell you that sin is lawlessness, that sin is of the devil, that sin is evil, that sin is an affront to a holy God. Why would you read, believe, and obey the Word of God when it tells you that immorality and rebellion against God, uh, 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 that immorality is a rebellion against God when in reality it's a matter of taste? It's a matter of sexual preference. It's a matter of gender preference. It's all a matter of personal choice. Why would you read, believe, and obey the Bible when it says God's Word is the final authority, when in reality you are the final authority? You have the final word over your life and body. Why would you read, believe, and obey the Bible to find out what is good and what is evil, you decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Hear me right, please. I'm getting close to the end. The Bible answer to Satan's deception is found in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it will lead to death. My beloved friends, as I come toward the end, listen to me. If you want to live, I mean really live, read, believe, and obey God's Word. But if you want death, though you might be living, then ignore it. If you want life and life abundant, drink deeply from the spring waters of the Word of God and be satisfied. If you choose the wilderness of slow death, you stay in the desert of postmodernism. If you want life, then allow the power of the Word of God to change your behavior. But if you want death, follow Satan's deception and doubt its authority. If you want life, then treasure the Word of God as your daily possession. But if you choose death, then devalue the Word of God and squander it. If you want life, then let the Word of God strengthen you and strengthen your stand so you may stand against the current of culture. But if you choose death, 
then you can go with the flow with all of the dead fishes. From the very beginning, God gives us an opportunity to choose life or death. Life or death. In the garden, Adam and Eve chose death, and they were thrown out of the garden. In the wilderness, God said to His people through Moses, you can choose life or death. And then later on, Joshua said to them, choose this day whom you'll obey. Today, God's Spirit simply speaking to everyone at the sound of my voice. But please listen. This is God's Word. This is not my words. I am incapable. This is God's Word. And God's Word is saying to everyone here and watching around the world, choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Say it with me. Choose life. Shout it so the devil can hear it. Stand up and pray with me. Father God, overrule my inadequacy. Holy Spirit, take the words that are authored by you in your word, in your Bible, in your book that you authored, Holy Spirit, and communicate it and make it indelibly printed on the cortex of the brain, the heart and the mind, the spirit and the soul of everyone. Oh, Father, may you begin with me. Father God, we are facing opposition that we have never seen in this part of the world, in this Western civilization. But we know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And that you promise to fight the battle for us when we trust you with all of our hearts. May we trust you with all of our hearts. May we choose life today for us, for our children, for our grandchildren, for all those who are near and far. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing.